You are listening to Soul Searching on KSFR with Rabbi Neil Amswich from Temple Beth Shalom. Soul Searching is a journey where I engage with faith leaders and academics to explore deep questions of meaning. Questions that all of us ask at some point in our lives, such as, why are we here? What is right and wrong? Is there good and evil? Is truth relative or absolute? Is there life after death? And to help us in our journey this evening, we're very honoured to welcome to our show Laura Pascas, author of At the Precipice, New Mexico's Changing Climate, and also the Environment Reporter at New Mexico PBS. Laura, welcome to our show. Thank you, Rabbi Neil. I'm glad to be here. So let's start with, given that the effects of climate change are already upon us, how do you respond to people who ask how much time we have left to take action on climate change? What, what does that question even mean to you? Yeah, so I actually, that makes me think of a recent interview I did with a high school student from Santa Fe, um, who, you know, for young people, the urgency around climate change is even more pronounced than, than for those of us who are older. And, and as he said, this isn't something we need to be doing in the future next week. We need to be acting by the time I finish this sentence. And I think that I think that he's he's right. I mean, the time for kind of thinking that we that we have time is is long gone. Are we are we beyond time? We're beyond we're beyond being able to make decisions that will stop climate change altogether, and we're beyond the time um, of making changes that we can see immediate results. Um, even if we stopped our greenhouse gas emissions right now, what we've already put into the atmosphere is warming our planet. And we're going to continue to see those impacts for decades, um, maybe even centuries. But that doesn't mean that we just keep going ahead, right? We don't just throw up our, our hands and say, well, it's too late. Um, we can't do anything now. So I never want to give people that impression. We are we are on a warming planet that's going to continue to warm, but that doesn't mean that we don't we don't make those cuts. We don't take those actions starting right now. I, I feel like when I talk to people involved in the environmental scene, there's a sense of we may have had more options in what to do in the past. But now the actions that we take to mitigate against the effects of climate change and to reduce further effects of climate change just have to be more dramatic now. We lost our window of opportunity for slow incremental change, maybe, but we need to be, we need to be bold now, perhaps. That's such a good point. And, and as, as every day that passes, right, the options become more and more limited. So we could also look at it as right now we have more opportunities than we ever will in the future to do something. And so like one example is, um, you know, there's, there's different kinds of greenhouse gases and different kinds of greenhouse gases, um, you know, kind of live 
for longer periods of time and have different impacts. And scientists consistently have been telling us if we work very quickly to cut our methane emissions right now, that buys us a little time to work on um, carbon dioxide and some of the other greenhouse gases that are more longer lived. Methane is a shorter lived greenhouse gas. So, you know, we, we have so many options today that we won't have tomorrow. So let's think locally. What are the, what are the specific impacts of climate change in New Mexico? So we can kind of take a, a system-wide view here. So as, as an arid region like New Mexico warms, Warming typically means drying for us. And that drying we see in lots of different ways. So as our temperatures rise, we see our wintertime snowpack diminish and shorten. Our snowpack season shortens and our snowpack lessens for the most part. Um, and so that means we have less snowpack in the mountains for that nice spring snow melt that feeds our cities and our farms and our orchards. Um, so we'll see that diminished snowpack and that diminished spring runoff, but also our forests are thirstier. The drier it is, the more water they need to survive. So we see impacts in our watersheds and our forests like um, uh, tree species that can't survive warmer temperatures and drier drought conditions. Um, trees that are more vulnerable to insects and die-offs. Um, and so then we see increased vulnerability to wildfire, a longer wildfire season, more severe wildfires. And then those fires have all kinds of downstream impacts. When we lose big chunks of our forest, we see severe flooding downstream. We see changes in how the watershed functions. Um, we also, with a warming climate, see public health impacts ranging from dust storms which affect you know our breathing but also the safety of our roads and traveling conditions. We see changes in certain types of diseases whether that's a northern spread of something like valley fever or increases with um, West Nile um, and, and not necessarily in New Mexico but like dengue is another um, disease that we see spreading. So it's really, it's a range of, of impacts across all different kinds of ecosystems and communities. This all sounds very depressing, very terrifying, actually. What, what do you do when you, when you share this kind of information? Just psychologically speaking, facing this kind of future, potential future, likely future in New Mexico, what does that mean psychologically, like as an environmentalist, when you're when you're writing about this? I'll share personally. I've been working on a book on environment and theology. I can't give too much away for ten years, and the reason it's taken so long is it's it's so difficult to write emotionally. And I know that with every every passing year, it's like, well, I I, I could have made a more positive change if I'd have got it published, but it, it's, it's almost painful to share this stuff. What does it mean to you as an environmentalist to be, to be talking about such, such a potential future for New Mexico? Yeah, I, it's complicated. And I feel like I go through different cycles of, of grief and guilt and, um, and anger. And, <laughs> um, but, you know, for me, I kind of, 
I feel fortunate that I have the privilege of learning about the science, learning about what people are doing in different communities. And I want to communicate that to the public in a way that helps them understand the seriousness of the issues. And also, I feel as though the more that people understand about what's happening and the decisions that we can make, that I'm trying to empower people and communities. But I also, I mean, I really, I struggle with a lot of guilt because I find my work very fulfilling. I love what I have the privilege of doing. But I know that when people read certain stories, it makes them feel sad and it makes them feel helpless. And whereas I feel this sort of fulfillment for doing that work and, and doing my very, very small part in trying to help people understand. I worry that I'm putting an emotional burden on readers. But sometimes, I mean, to be perfectly honest, I also will grapple with, you know, sadness or anger that I'm like, here, I'm putting this out for you. Do something. <laughs> so, yeah, I, mean, I know there are so many projects in New Mexico. Can you, you mentioned about empowering people. What are the kinds of things that people, some people are doing? Again, obviously not all of them, but just some examples so that people who hear this can think, okay, but, but I, there are things I can tap into. Yeah, so I think being engaged with your, with your um, politicians and lawmakers is hugely important. Lawmakers hear all the time from industry which doesn't want to be regulated, which doesn't, you know, has a very specific set of needs that benefit their, their profit making. And lawmakers need to hear from the people of New Mexico who are interested in things like clean water and clean air and a sustainable future and cutting greenhouse gas emissions and doing water planning um, and things like that. So in some ways, although our challenges in New Mexico are very serious, we're so lucky to be in a small state with, we, are, we all have very intimate relationships with one another. We all know one another, one another's neighbors. We have a citizen legislature that is very accessible. We have a federal congressional delegation that, um, with one exception, currently takes climate change very seriously and environmental regulations very seriously. Um, and so I think that New Mexicans should feel empowered that we do have the ability to affect the decisions our lawmakers make from a very local to the federal level. I think that's so important, the fact that very often people don't act on environmental issues because they feel powerless in the machine. Um, but you being able to share that, I think, is, is really important, really empowering. Let me, let me ask you, it sounded like you were hinting at it. What, what do you wish that people better understood about the connection between the state's oil and gas industry and our state's current and future water challenges, for example? Yeah, so greenhouse gas emissions are, are greenhouse gas emissions are directly responsible for the warming of the planet, which in New Mexico affects our water supplies. And so we have chosen as a state to embrace a robust oil and gas industry. Um, and because we've made those economic decisions, 
we have also chosen to participate in the warming of the planet. And, you know, I think it's really interesting. Oftentimes there's like this, there's like traditionally kind of been this battle between like um, the oil and gas industry and environmentalists and farmers and environmentalists. And I'm wondering if we're gonna come around in the next few years where farmers realize that environmentalists are actually their allies and trying to protect water supplies in the state. And the oil and gas industry is directly responsible for their limited and, and alarmingly limited water supplies in the state. And so I think we really, we, we talk so much about the benefits that the oil and gas industry has on the state, but there are there there are untold expenses and um, costs to to those decisions that we've made. It's interesting when you mention water specifically. I recently heard an interview with a farmer back in England um, who basically his land his family had been farming the same piece of land for 600 years. And he basically turned around and said, current farming methods are totally unsustainable in terms of soil quality. And at the end of the day, if we don't listen to a more environmental message, where our farms are going to be unsustainable. So there's a, a sort of short-term, long-term thinking thing here, isn't there? Absolutely, absolutely. And the <laughs> Whether, it's, whether we're talking about water or soils, we need to really be um, moving away from that just industrialized agricultural model that's bad for the earth and bad for humans. Well, let's, let's take a pause there. Let's take a little bit of a break because you know, this, this idea of what's good and what's bad, is, it's a real balance, which I think is, is really interesting. And I'd love to come back to this. So we're going to take a break now. You're listening to Soul Searching on KSFR. My guest this evening, Laura Pascas, author of At the Precipice, New Mexico's Changing Climate, and also the environment reporter at New Mexico PBS. And we'll be back in a moment. to Soul Searching with Rabbi Neil Amswich from Temple Beth Shalom here in Santa Fe. My guest this evening, Laura Pascas, author of At the Precipice, New Mexico's Changing Climate and the Environment Reporter at New Mexico PBS. We've been having a wonderful conversation about the balances of needs uh, that, we, that we experience as we consider short-term benefit and long-term benefit. And I guess part of this comes into the way that our society thinks in terms of that sort of buying our way out of crisis almost, um, that sort of instantaneous, it's available to me, therefore I can. So I guess, I guess the question that, that comes from this is we, we've always been told, not always, but for a long time, we've been told the way to minimize the climate crisis is with ethical consumerism, you know, buy an electric car or buy local to reduce you know, global carbon emissions. So either with ethical consumerism or with individualized action. So inflate your tires, turn down your thermostat. At the end of the day, though, 
they don't seem to have worked. Why do you think this is? Yeah, those are important things to do in part because they remind us that we need to be better protectors, right? It's like a reminder. But really, there are systems and structures in place in the United States and worldwide that these, these, these systems are, they function because they are able to gluttonously consume resources and um, diminish the rights of workers and earn profits and generate wealth and concentrate wealth. And that concentration of wealth is directly tied to the exploitation of natural resources. And, you know, we all participate in this system, but I wouldn't say that we have much choice than to participate in the system. And so I think really there's so many exciting movements, even within the United States, over the past few years. I think of everything from the Black Lives Matter movement to the um, mutual aid movements that are growing across the United States and certainly here in New Mexico, where people are trying to understand the needs of their communities and figure out how to meet those needs without being exploitative. And I think it is, it is really overwhelming to think about, you know, how can you how can you battle an energy consumer like Amazon when it's so convenient and maybe you don't have another way to buy something that you need, but, but things like, and I, I, I feel bad coming back to politics, but it's important that if we were to think seriously as a nation about implementing true campaign finance reform, where you don't have people who are being funded by the millions of dollars to be making legal you know, decisions about laws and regulations, I think we could come much more closely. But like a local example I think of is, you know, we have Los Alamos National Laboratory, which provides thousands and thousands of jobs, and we consider it very much an economic engine for New Mexico. But even if we set the moral issues aside of what it means to earn money off of nuclear weapons, even if we set that aside for right now. Right now, the lab is looking into doubling its electricity use. And that, it's a roughly $300 million project to bring increased electricity to the lab. And it's not renewable energy. It's um, gonna be coal-fired, natural gas, nuclear energy for the most part. And so how as New Mexicans do we decide if we're going to take on a really big system and structure like Los Alamos and its electricity use? Um, these structures are big and complicated. <laughs> I, I think what you said there is quite brilliant. I've never heard it expressed like this. You know, when Al Gore did An Inconvenient Truth, he went through and he, he spoke about the challenges and that right at the end, there was this tokenism, inflate the tires, do this kind of turn off the light switch. And for years, I always thought that was extremely tokenistic. You know, you can save the planet by, because that's kind of what it said. You can save the planet by doing these things, but, but we didn't. 
but maybe we didn't because we didn't realize what it meant. It didn't, that wasn't the end goal. You know, you saying that these were reminders to help us every day when we're making choices, as you get into your electric car, you think, I need to dismantle the structure that is fundamentally uh, unhealthy for the planet and for the people living on it. Every time you turn off the light switch or wear a jumper or turn down the thermostat, you think, I need to assess the structure of society in which I'm living. And, and maybe it's not dismantling. Maybe that's a bit too dramatic. Maybe it's transformation. Maybe some things can be transformed. Maybe some things can't and do need to be dismantled. But the example that you give shows that level of complexity. But the fact that we are, the fact that these things, these individualized actions or this ethical consumerism serves as a reminder, a starting point, as opposed to an end point, I think is really important. I think it's quite brilliantly expressed and, and makes me ask, how do, we, how do we get that message out other than this show, which has thousands of listeners? Um, how do we get that message out to people like that wasn't the end goal? That was, you know, and now what almost? Yeah, I know that probably sounds very naive and, and, and hopefully not too trite, but I think that I think that connecting with our landscapes and our communities from a place of love is what helps us do those things. If we love our communities, if we love other communities, if we love our landscapes and the places where we live and the places we rely upon, I think it makes it easier for us to make those small choices and those big choices. If we're always coming at environmental issues from a place of like anger or um, feeling as though we've been harmed in a, in a way that makes us so angry, I think that can sustain you for a little while, but, but really nurturing and developing that love of place and community makes us all want to be better, I think, and wants us to, we want to take care of one another better. I guess I really appreciate that answer. I guess that, that leads me to, to wonder, one of, the, one of the critiques of contemporary environmentalism is that it can be sort of financial elites fixing global problems that were often caused by the financial elites in the first place. So what factors do racial and economic diversity play in addressing New Mexico's climate issues? And how do we touch on that love that you're, that you're talking about? That's such a great question. I love that question. Um, so here in New Mexico, again, we are so lucky because we live in a diverse community already you know we're we're all neighbors here um and i think that i think that those you know sort of big environmental groups um are getting a little bit better at listening to the communities where they're located or where they want to be doing work but there's so many exciting movements i see coming up from communities, whether that's like Nuestra Tierra down in the southern part of the state or the Pueblo Action Alliance um, doing amazing work around Chaco Canyon and also um, land and water. Um, there's, so, there's so many ways in which we're getting better at communicating with one another and listening to one another. And so I think that New Mexico just has 
amazing opportunities for us to work better together and provide uh, examples for other parts of the country and how all sorts of different communities can be working together on these, you know, sort of sustainability type issues. I really appreciate that because it's all, I mean, we come from such differing perspectives and being able to bring them together is so important. In our final few minutes, when I was, uh, I was asked to give a speech years ago um, uh, at PNM um, to talk about solar power. And I, I still don't understand something. I come from a country where it constantly rains. And that country is smaller than the whole of the state of New Mexico. And yet there is more solar power in Britain than there is just in the state of New Mexico, even though we hardly ever see the sun in Britain. Why is that? Gosh, I wish I had a better answer than, than I do. I think part of it has to do with the fact that here in New Mexico, we have, you know, it's one company, basically a, a monopoly on electricity generation and supply in the state. And, and while, you know, PNM can make movement or any sorts of any sort of um, utility can make movement toward you know like solar farms or things like that those are still very um, they're not the greatest to you know encouraging people to have panels on their homes making that affordable making that widespread um, the community solar bill that passed the legislature this year is a good example of moving toward that but as long as there's going to continue to be um, decisions about energy made by people who are responsible to their shareholders, we're not going to see transformative change in our energy sector in New Mexico or the United States. So once again, we come back to systemic structures and we come back to, I mean, I, I think what you're saying is a reality of um, of what is each company's interest, um, what, what are our interests, and can these interests be compatible? Um, and there's a question that I hear skepticism perhaps that, that it is, that, that those aims, those interests are compatible. In, in the final, we've got two minutes. What message do you want to send to New Mexicans listening to this show about the environment, about the changing environment, what they can do to, to be involved, to help shape New Mexico positively in the changing climate? Well, I think first and foremost is connecting with your landscapes and waters right now. Go out today, tonight, um, and appreciate the world around you. Listen to the people in your community. Don't, don't necessarily tell them what you think is right for them, but listen to the other people in your community, um, listen across communities, um, pick up the phone and bother your elected officials. Um, they rarely hear from people who wanna to talk to them. Um, and I think, you know, whether you're making a, a, a change in your household or your spiritual community or your town, I think that the, the changes that you make matter because other people see those actions as well 
and having hard conversations. I feel like the past year in particular, we as Americans have had many hard conversations and they hurt and um, they don't feel they don't feel good in the middle of the night when you reflect upon them, but continuing to have those hard conversations is amazing. And I'm hopeful, I'm very hopeful for New Mexico. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for coming on to our show. Thank you so much for having me, Rabbi Neil. I really appreciate it and enjoy the conversation. You've been listening to Soul Searching with Rabbi Neil Amswich from Temple Beth Shalom and from the Interfaith Leadership Alliance of Santa Fe. Thanks again to my guest, Laura Pascas, author of At the Precipice, New Mexico's Changing Climate, and also the Environment Reporter at New Mexico PBS. Until we return again in two weeks' time, keep searching.